Hello and welcome to the very 64th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about games you can play in the privacy of your own home, upon your tabletop or if you wish upon the floor, but not just tabletop games, games that you don't just play on your tabletop, uh, but also games that we wouldn't call tabletop games, that role-playing games, even though you do play those games on your tabletop. And then the games that are offshoots from those that you don't even maybe play indoors, but you sometimes play outdoors. Right? That, that, that's all the games covered, right? I think Thanks that for is. listening. See you next week. <laughs> My name is Quentin Smith. Um, I am a man. I'm 30 <laughs> years old. Do you forget your age these days, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not mm. great, is it? Uh, today on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, uh, we are going to be talking about our whole host. Our whole host. Our whole host of games that we've been playing recently. We've got world champion Russian Roulette. We have Train Heist, a game I know nothing about, so I'm looking forward to Trains. that. Uh, we've got Baron Park. We've got Pit Crew. We've got Akrotiri, Between Two Cities, and the new Capitals expansion for Between Two Cities. And if you don't know anything about any of those games, that's fine and great because we're going to tell you about them and which ones are worth playing and what's interesting and which ones soothed us in, and our busy, crazy lives, and which ones were awful weights that we had to carry, like millstones, wow. around our how, how How soothed do you feel right now? Right now, I'm pretty soothed. Um, I have. I feel like we always say this right now, but I've been working all day on projects that we are yet to announce on Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, I'd love a bit more transparency, but that's not how the internet works. You just have to suddenly drop stuff in people's laps and go, here's a cool video you didn't know was coming. And uh, and then that gives us the most traffic. So it's tough. I don't want to be secretive, but I must be, like the Phantom of the Opera. Well, I was going to say, one, people seem to like that anyway. They seem to like our surprises. Two, we can be transparent right now about any one of these games on the list. What would you like to start with? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, let's talk about um, a game I've wanted to play for a while before you embark on your massive uh, journey through all these games you've been playing. I'd like to talk about Between Two Cities. Okay. A game that uh, we've wanted to play for some time um, because back in the day we reviewed a game called Suburbia, a very clever, very difficult tile-laying game where the placement of incredibly mundane things like a stationery shop or an awful suburban housing estate um, is more important than life and death. Um, sometimes literally if you're playing with tiles that are also like graveyards and stuff. Um, and everybody told me, hey, Between Two Cities is better. And then recently when I reviewed Quadropolis, a lovely game of building a little city grid. Uh, people told me Between Two Cities is better. I've now played Between Two Cities and my friends and I had a nice time, but I don't think it's as good as Quadropolis or Suburbia. Really? Uh, yeah, but it has the best conceit of any of those games. So what you have is, you know, you're three or four or up to seven players um, are building cities like any number of these games that we're talking about now, but you're building two of them and each one is a collaborative effort between you and the player sat to your left or right. So it's kind of like everyone had their city in front of them and then slid it a foot to the right. So no one has a city in front of them. They just have two cities and you're between two cities and the game is called Between Two Cities. Uh, are you with me so far? Uh, yeah, I am. It, I can't think of another board game that is as literal as that. Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, so the way it works then is you have these tiles, these tiles that might represent schools or industry or houses or whatever. Um, everyone then drafts these tiles as if, you know, you pass the tiles around, you will choose a couple, you pass them on, and then everyone reveals what they picked. And then you immediately start talking to your neighbors and arguing about like, if I drafted two quite good tiles, then the players to my left and right are going are both saying, you have to put this in the city that we share because everyone's score at the end is the worst of their two cities. When you score up all the cities with all these multipliers, like, you want a line of shops and you want to have um, the most industry, but not the second most, because um, that's bad. You know, you, you add up the points for your cities that you are between, because you're between two cities. And oh, yeah, then, yeah, uh, I Whichever of your cities is the worst, that's your score. Um, so it's kind of... It has a really nice social flow where you draft in silence and then you reveal your cards or your tiles rather. And then everyone starts going, oh, why did you draft that? Or like, oh, no, we can do this. And everyone has to do this really quaint thing of like, there's a player who wants to talk to you, but you're talking to the player sat on the other side of you. So you have to do this sort of like, can you just wait one moment? I'm, I'm actually in discussion with this player who you will never talk to for the whole game. Um, 
And then the Capitals expansion adds um, a few extra tiles and it adds like uh, sort of sheets that you put down. So your city, you're not just building a, a city on the table, you're building a city that's on a desert place setting on the table. So all the cities have a bit more personality. You know, I, I immediately like the sound of this, though. And I like mm. the sound of that dynamic of shared responsibility. Yep. Structurally, it is kick bottom good. Um Wow, that's a phrase I'm never going to say again in my life. Um, but my problem with it um, was that you kind of had to eyeball how good each of the two cities you have were, right? Because calculating the total value of a city is a process that takes actual minutes because yeah. you have to look at all the different building tile types that you're using and then uh, and then you know, and then recalculate it based on what other people are doing around the table. So it's one of those games where to play well, you would have to calculate the value of your cities every single turn but that is so massively boring and tedious that no one will actually do that so you're all kind of guessing you're sort of vibing which of your two cities is better um which kind of lessens some of the crunch and tactics of the game because you draft two tiles but it doesn't really matter because you're kind of guessing which city is deserving of which one um it just felt a little uh fluffy which is a word i've been using a lot recently in my board game criticism it's good but Suburbia is so crunchy where you're so aware of every mistake you make. And Quadropolis is really curious how you manage to tangle yourself up in your own plans. Um, and Between Two Cities felt fine and good and social, but not not like a, a rigid design that I want to rub my brain against, uh, like, a, yeah. like a sort of pull-up bar for brains. It felt more like a, oh my God. a swing set for brains. It mm, uh, that, that description aside, I mean, would you then... I mean, we're now looking at three different city building games here with three different mechanics and three different ways of playing. So it doesn't rate for you as quite as good. And it also maybe doesn't rate as you for you as a game you'd have alongside them as an alternative. Because I feel like you would keep both Quadropolis and Suburbia. I would um, and have. Um, and and I would recommend people buy either one of those games if they're kind of quite interested in um, a heavy game, Suburbia, or a simple game, Quadropolis. Between Two Cities, I enjoyed playing once, and I might play it again, but I would not recommend people necessarily go out and buy it. Um, But in saying that, it does have a big fan base, so maybe myself and the six friends I played it with um, are all odd ones out, because we all felt pretty much the same. Uh, Let's talk about Train Heist. Train Heist? Before we started recording the podcast, I said, oh, you're going to talk about Train Heist, and you burst out laughing, so there's something happening here. I'd like to know what. So Train Heist was originally a Kickstarter a while ago, but then I think Cryptozoica picked it up, and it's on general distribution. I played it a little while ago now, and it is all about, as you would guess heisting a train that for some reason just mostly goes in circles around the board between i think three towns um and it's full of um full of different cargoes that you can heist off it which some of the cargoes are just people um yeah it's it's this sort of cartoony thing with anthropomorphic anthropomorphic animals which i'm going to come back to in a moment because i have a particular issue with this and it has a combination of sort of two different mechanics really it's got some general moving you move around the board and you're constantly chasing the train the train moves every turn so you either keep up with the train or you try and head up head it off and jump onto it move around on it grab things jump off it um which is immediately kind of quite simple but it was it was a mechanic or a feeling that i liked because it gave it very literally gave the game a kind of momentum and over the game the, the, the train can never slow down it can only speed up certain events <laughs> speed it up which okay. make it um, more difficult to catch. Uh, and you, you also have this horse. You, it's a cooperative game, by the way, so everybody shares the horse. You have one horse. And you horse. can do things like, yeah, move this horse between you or whistle the horse to your position or inevitably accidentally leave the horse on the train tracks uh, where it could be just hit by the train and killed. Really? And then you don't have a horse for the rest of the... Yeah, that's it. It's gone. And the manuals, it's the manual says, you know, if you got the horse hit by a train, then that's it. You're well done, you've you're screwed. Um, <laughs> as it just of... endlessly goes faster and faster in the circle around the board. It sounds uh, kind but... of um, uh, like like a metaphor or something for you know growing old. Or I'm not sure. There's something poignant about a train that goes faster and faster, and people just trying to rob the same train forever. Like like a sort of wild, like a western written by Kafka. Well, it's it's got it's not 
the same as something like Space Alert, but because it's cooperative and it's got these uh, these uh, card-driven events that just happen, um, it does have a slight sort of co-op slapstick feel where some things always happen that you don't you cannot predict, like the um, the points on the train track change, so it changes direction, or it goes into a tunnel faster than you thought it would while you're on the roof, so you get knocked off the roof. There's a lot of just being knocked over in this. Or being chucked in jail by the sheriff. And then it, it balances this with this mechanic that I'm not quite sure that I like, whereby players always have hands of cards, like poker hands. And in order to do certain special things, most of which are like just grab uh, loot off the train, you have to form a certain hand with these cards. So you're constantly sort of drawing cards and burning cards and being like, well, I have three of a kind right now and I need this three of a kind to uh, take this certain person off the train. And it's... It's a curious idea, but I don't know if the two of them really mesh together for, you know, it's it's like it's like a Western type idea. It's like people played poker in the West. And if you're heisting a train in the West, then I guess I'm going to put this thing in. And that was I, I couldn't quite reconcile these different elements. And that then is it's a, full... a weirdly recurring board game mechanic, isn't it? That if your game is set in the Wild West, then at some point, like like whether it's a video game or a board game, like enormous floating poker hands will somehow determine your ability to like go to the toilet or whatever. Yeah, and so I, I couldn't reconcile these things or click them together. Um, it doesn't. The presentation is not fantastic, but I have to admit it's a game where so we opened the box, sat down with it, weren't full of expectations, and then gradually as we played. Although it was never great, it was a lot more enjoyable than we expected, and there are a few little details in there. Um, something I've never seen before, for example, which is magnetic bits of the board, where we'd put down um, a token that like is the, the speed dial for the train, and you gradually notch this thing up, and you can't knock it, or you can't you know, accidentally reset really? it, because it's actually magnetic. It has a tiny little bit of metal in, and a little bit of the board is magnetic, or vice versa. And it plops down, and yeah, and I've never seen that before, and I'm like, hmm, that works incredibly well. I'm reminded um, of, um, we had a, I, I don't know if we put it in the game's news, but we were certainly emailed about a Kickstarter for a dice tray which has a magnet in, and the dice, it was like, you get some D6s with it that also have magnets in. So you kind of roll the dice roughly towards this tray, and then suddenly they sort of suck to yeah. this one point on the tray, revealing a Thunk. number. And it was pretty cool. I mean, not like, we would... I would never recommend people back the Kickstarter because it was like eighty pounds or something completely insane. I've uh, I've had this idea for ages, and if anyone out there is listening who can make this happen, I don't think this yet exists. But magnetic carcassonne for a fridge, somebody please make that, mm. please. So I could just like turn by turn, you could like you know with your partner or your flatmates or something, you could just play carcassonne. And, build this map on your fridge i think that would be a wonderful idea i don't know if i want to see that as much as i want to see a return of a board game that i forget the name of where it's it's a vertical board um and then one some of the players are exploring a pyramid and they move pawns like like pegs in this vertical board kind of like you Mm -hmm. um imagine like a connect four freestanding thing but on the other side of the board is a player playing the mummy who wanders around the pyramid who can't see the board but sort of using a magnet slides the mummy token around the pyramid. Oh. Um, and so all the other oh. players on the other side are seeing this mummy blindly walk around. And Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, it was a game from the 80s or 90s or whatever. So statistically, it wasn't good at all. But, um, you know, hey, uh, Rob Davio and friends have got that new studio, Restoration Games, now where they take old classics and drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st century. So maybe they can restore this, uh, you know, mystical mummy game that I am going to look up the name of and put in the podcast description on shutupandsitdown.com. <laughs> uh, you've got some notes here uh, about Train Heist. Um, it says, uh, I'm just going to read these out and you can sort of quickly oh, answer Goofy owns Pluto. Why? So here's the other thing. So remember I said there's a horse and you ride around on the horse? Yeah. Train Heist has anthropomorphic, uh, you know, it's got like that Disney sort of thing or the thing that we've all grown up with for some reason in, it's a 20th century thing, I think, where like an animal is humanoid or whatever. Yeah. So at one point the train uh, was going to a station and the the train constantly picks up new people that go onto the train or new bits of loot. Um, One of them was a horse, but it was a horse in a dress. Which I had a problem with this. I needed... Wait, you also ride a horse, right? Right, right. So do you ride so a horse that walks on around on its hind legs like a man? 
Well, apparently not. I mean, this this is a different horse that was um, in a dress and had lipstick and blusher on, which I had <laughs> various degrees of problem with. But uh, there's a thing with um, Disney and with, I think, Goofy, like, as a character in Disney, has a dog, but he is also a dog. Oh, Minnie right. Mouse is scared of mice. There's, like, a, a moment at some point in some Disney thing where Minnie Mouse sees a mouse and gets scared. And I, we, we all grew up with this. Like, we, we grew up with DuckTales. I grew up with uh, something called Dog Tanyon and the Three Musketeers, where everyone is a dog, but it's Dog Tanyon, but they're just all dogs. But they ride horses, but the horses are horses. Yes. Whereas the dogs are people. Well, I, played, I, have, um, I have trouble with this. Where is the line drawn? And what, what happens in a world where also a horse is a horse, but a horse is a person? Like, I can't sleep at night because of this. Well, you're aware of... Um... Uh, very popular role-playing game, but also comic, uh, Mouse Guard, which I yeah. you know, played for the first time recently and um, we had to be informed by the GM, like, no, the mice are like, you know, anthropomorphized society, like a sort of medieval people. And mm-hmm. some animals in the world of Mouse Guard, like uh, weasels, are similarly civilized. But then, like, most animals are just animals. So, like, the the mice use birds as beasts of burden, which is a pun of my own, as opposed to the game's. Piece mm-hmm. of burden, you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like it, that's just this weird subjugation of one animal and another animal. Uh, it's, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? That you can take a boring. I don't think that a game gets away with having a boring theme if they just make all the human characters in their game different animals. Um, like if you make a game that's like trading in the Mediterranean, but your merchant is like a dolphin, then that. I mean, yeah. that I don't think that's a that's a good enough. That's not a clever, witty retheme. That doesn't really. But where, get you where do you draw the, the line? Where do you draw the line? Who decides? Who's who gets to? I, I used to watch a thing, a Phileas Fogg around the world adaptation thing when I was a kid, and he was like a lion, and people were cats and raccoons. But then they had just like an elephant that was just an elephant. Why? Well, this is kind of why Zootopia is great, right? The the new uh, Disney Disney film, I think. Uh, Zootopia. Have you seen that one? I haven't actually. It's superb. It's my favorite animated film uh, in years. Um, but uh, it it does a lot of the good. It does a lot of clever stuff to do with uh, expectations about anthropomorphization, like w- like animals not wearing clothes, for example, or wearing clothes on only half of their body. Um, yeah. it, it kind of puts a lens on that, and then and then does some really good jokes about it. Um, I will. I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna jump back to Train Heist and say it was. Uh, enjoyably slapstick as a co-op game but not it felt like the different mechanics were being meshed together um in a way that didn't quite fit and didn't quite suit and didn't you you know when you have a game and i think we see this often where people are like it would be cool if you could do this it would be cool if you could do this but the elements don't gel Mm. they just feel like they're more things added in um and also, I'd like to very quickly just, just throw this out there. If you are in any way involved with decision-making in anthropomorphic animal representation, if you're the person who decides where the line's drawn, we want to hear from you. Uh, you mean like which I, animals? I want to hear from you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, shall we talk about board games? Yeah, I'm not going to explore this. I'll let this be between you and the art department of board game studios. And hopefully we can keep your weird obsession off the podcast. Shall we talk about Pit Crew? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Pit Crew is something that you and I have both played now. It is the new Jeff Engelstein game from Stronghold. Stronghold yeah. Publishes uh, Stronghold. Um, and it is, like all Jeff Engelstein's games, um, pretty interesting. Um, God bless that man for making games that are unlike anything I've ever played before. Um, so yeah, Pit Crew is a game for two to, oh God, like nine players, I think, um, where you all play the pit crew of a car and like pit crews in real life, um, you have to go as fast as possible. And unlike pit crews in real life, routinely you will forget to, or fail to put a wheel on the car correctly. Yep. Um, or be responsible for a crash because you didn't realize that the car needed fuel this turn. Um, how would you describe how it works, Paul? I would, it's a... Do you want, to, shall I describe no, how? <laughs> it, I, I'm trying to think what else it reminds me of. There is some other very fast card playing game, but I can't, it's not rising to the top of my memory right now. Well, it's but kind it's, of like um, Falling, that old cheap ass game where players are sort of slapping cards down, or like Racing Demon, you know, like sort of, but not. Um, because because a, you are, fundamentally, you are constantly slapping cards down against the clock. Yes, this is whether, the, the core thing of it. 
Yeah, whether you are, if you are a, a, a one person pit crew of a team, which you do at lower player counts, then you have six, a hand of six cards. If there's two or three people working on the same car, then they each get three cards or even two cards each, which is, yes. which I, I need to try because I'm sure at that point the game just starts to sing. Um, and then you have like these tr- traditional card game rules for um, placing the numbered cards you've got onto the car in front of you in order to give them a pit stop in time. So for example, to attach a wheel, you need to go like in a sort of solitaire style. Um, I think one card, hi- you can either go high, one higher or one lower than the yes. present card. So if you put down a six, then, oh, I can put down this five, and then you can put down a four or a six again. And then once we've put down four cards, we can put the sort of wheel, it's the wheel card itself on it. Um, and that wheel's have, done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you almost certainly have messed it up in some way. Uh, and then you have to do that four times with wheels. You have to check the engine. You have to refuel. And all of these things require different rules. And it's all played completely in real time. And the best rule is that if you finish your car, you just get to start rolling one dice, just one little six-sided dice, which is such a pathetic yeah. feeling. Like if you roll 2d6, <laughs> that has a really nice weight to it. Or rolling a d20 has some weight. Rolling one little cheap wooden d6 feels so pathetic. And um, you're rolling this dice because whenever you get a six, um, you can you move, move the car forward. one space. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, I mean, pathetic or not, when when you are still trying to put the right amount of fuel in your in your fuel tank or you're <laughs> trying to put the last wheel on, and you're sat there looking at your cards, just try, trying to find, like, you could have two different cards that would fit in this space, and yet you don't have any of them in your hand. Somebody else at the table is just rolling the die over and over really, really fast, as fast as they can. You feel absolutely powerless as they sit there rolling, and they're like, oh, I've moved again. Oh, I've moved again. Yeah, it's very curious. Um, and there's a lot of negotiation between teams. And then what happens when everyone finishes their pit stop for the round is th- that final player to finish goes, stop! Like they're a kid who's had enough. Um, the dice stop rolling. And then you all check each other's cars. And then you go, that card shouldn't be there. You put too many cards in this wheel. And then every time you make a... Every time you realize a mistake your opponents have made with their pit stop, all the other cars in the race advance ones. And if you Galaxy that, Trucker. That's yeah. what I was thinking of, actually, because you've got the similar real time trying to build a ship and then uh, that, that horrible feeling of being the last person left once everyone else has managed to do it. Because you you build everything as fast as you can. But then again, in Galaxy Truck, you look over each other's constructions and most of the time people are fine. Occasionally you find a mistake that somebody has made and you get to uh, point at them and penalize them. <laughs> It's good. It's good that it comes in a small box. If I am honest about Pit Crew, I know that other people in Shut Up and Sit Down's Slack channel, like you, Cynthia, and Matt, are really pretty big fans of Pit Crew. I would have to admit to not being the biggest fan. I think that makes Ooh, me a little that? Um, I have been having trouble with real-time games recently. I think I find... I, I don't know. I, I've, I've been finding real-time games quite tiring. Like, I don't immediately mm-hmm. want to play them. Kind of like how you felt like you were not interested in heavy games for a little while until A Feast for Odin came along and you were like, oh, no, I do love this. Um, for me, if yes. I have a bunch of friends and it's a real-time thing, I just want to play Captain Sonar and anything else feels like it doesn't give me that same return of, of energy and investment. And Pit Crew is a completely different game. It's a very silly card placement game, whereas Captain Sonar is intense and insane. Um, do check out our Captain Sonar review on YouTube if you haven't seen that. Yes. Um, I got the expansion for that and was underwhelmed uh, this week. But Ooh. I should, oh, I should, you know what? I, should, I haven't, mm, well, okay, I'll talk Ooh. about that. Oh, come on, you have to now because you will, teased I will, that. I will, I will, but let's, uh, no, let's, let's finish Pit <laughs> Crew first. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, I don't know. It kind of, it didn't, nothing about it excited me. I I quite liked it. And I think for me, the difference between being like, you know what, I do like this, and me going, was just component quality. Um, I will announce now on this podcast that I am pretty sick of Stronghold Games art design and component quality. Um, I I think my standard, we all know on Shut Up and Sit Down that our standards have been creeping up over the years, but... um, and but that's fine because lots of, of publishers have been getting prettier and prettier every year. You know, for example, Fantasy Flight put out a new living card game, and every year it's more beautiful. Like I was looking over Legend of yeah. the Five Rings this week, and the card backs and the presentation is just gorgeous. And, yeah, and some of the art is terrific. Absolutely, um, and loads of women in it just looking just the most kick-ass and great and varied, and it's it's wonderful. Um, and Stronghold Games just, I feel like, are fittingly, so let's stick with an analogy that would fit in Pit Crew. I feel like Stronghold Games are stuck in neutral. I feel like they are putting out games that just look like they're from, you know, 2011. Um, 
and and my standards are sort of leaving them behind in the dust. Um, I and plus, just the prices are slightly high. I wouldn't feel comfortable telling people to buy Crew Crew when there are so many games out there now that just look so much better and they're just a tiny bit cheaper. You know what? I was uh, I was surprised. Like this is a game that I'd been following online for a while, and I had obviously uh, heard about and I'd seen pictures of. As, you know, as we all do, there are certain titles that pop up on your radar, and you you put a pin in that. Can you put a pin in a radar? I don't know. <laughs> and I was surprised when it was in front of me and it was smaller than I expected and it was it felt much more like a... Uh, it, it was not what I expected. It was not this elaborate, very shiny thing. It was a very small box with a couple of wooden cars in and it felt like a sort of a travel game. That's the word I'm looking for. And yes, I didn't absolutely. stop me enjoying it less. And I want to play it again with different player combinations. And... I, I, I know I'm, I'm either going to end up loving it or at least liking it, but I do wish there had been a little more to the, I don't know, to the feel of it, to the, 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 the I don't want to just say component quality because it was fine, but no, I think I it's fine to say the component. You, I think it's fine to say the component quality isn't good enough in a game where all you are doing is holding cards and playing cards. Let's be, let's tell the people at home. Pit crew comes with those tiny cards, like the ones that yes. are about 25 to 30 percent of the of the area of a regular card and those are no fun to hold they're no fun to play like if i if you're making a card game and pit crew absolutely is a card game give me full-size cards please come on um i don't like drawing i don't like playing i don't like holding the cards in pit crew or looking at them for what it's worth um which sounds i'm sure if this is like your first shut up it's a dumb podcast unbelievably petty but i think these things matter um and we'll see in the comments whether people agree with me. Do you, do you feel that way about things like Space Cadets? Space Cadets is gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross, dude. Everything is flimsy in Space Cadets. Um, everything. Everything is made of a really thin, papery sort of stuff. Imagine if Fantasy Flight made Space Cadets. Imagine how gorgeous it would be. I, I didn't know you felt this way. This is... Wow, my goodness. Hey, I'm, let's... We- I'm stunned. Shall we uh, talk about <laughs> uh, World Championship Russian Roulette and then let's. I will... I will talk about uh, the Captain Sonar expansion. So World Championship Russian Roulette is a game about um, competitively shooting yourself in the head. Uh, you have... <laughs> it is. And it's a really kind of silly idea, but it actually it works remarkably well as a kind of a theme for a game. You have a deck of cards that represent the bullets in your gun. Most of the chambers of your gun are empty, as in when you play Russian Roulette. Uh, one of them has a bullet in, and you have this team of people who are all trying to in a sort of a deer hunter kind of way, trying to just survive and not shoot themselves. Um, but this is all manipulated by other cards that you can draw and play that do things like add bullets to other people's guns or let you uh, reshuffle your deck, which represents you sort of spinning the, the chamber of your, the set, you know, the middle bit of your gun again so that you might uh, cycle the bullet away from where it is. Uh, and you, all, you sit around the table and you try and find ways to basically game the game by getting people to point guns at other people or getting people to slip more bullets into their guns. And you can also cheat. One of the fundamental things about the game is the fact that you can uh, attempt to manipulate what is in your gun. And if you get caught, you're in huge trouble. If you get away with it, you're fine. And it's got one of those mechanics whereby if you call somebody else out and you're wrong, then you end up being the person who suffers which is you know a very simple idea but it's a mechanic i always like in games because it encourages people to bluff about lying if that makes any sense to look shadier than they are so do you mean like you're if i get this right um in world championship russian roulette you might be like going i'm gonna do it and then you sort of quote unquote pull the trigger and then because you've done this like four or five times i might be like there's no bullet in that gun Uh, yeah is that Oh, that's exactly it's how it's things it works. like that. It's you could you could you arguably not be loading your gun, and somebody thinks that you're not loading your gun, or you you've uh, you all bet together. There is a betting round where you say things like, "I bet I can pull the trigger four times," uh, <laughs> you know, and be fine. And that might be because you have some hidden knowledge about your deck, or it could be that you are just a fool, or it could be that you you've got some card that's going to turn everything around. All of this fundamentally it's a very simple concept to sort of get your hands on and it's fairly sort of straightforward and simple to play this this manipulation is what gives it so much more sort of uh soul and weight Mm. and comedy 
But, and this is one of the key things that I've been thinking about about this game for a while and that I want to say is I think the more people you have playing it, the funnier and sillier and more chaotic it gets. I've played it now in small groups and large groups and I think there is a big difference there and I think playing it with like three people is not the same as like playing it with six. It doesn't have the same feel. It doesn't have that same... Because part of the game is sort of performative where you are bluffing and you're cheating and then you're actually... Game tells you to put your finger to your head. I feel it loses something as soon as you start to take people away from it. It's not available for people to buy yet, is it? Because I'm... I'm it, it's a, it's a, This is Tuesday Night Games, of course, who also do an excellent uh, board game podcast um, and who published Two Rooms and a Boom. So, Which yeah. we really enjoyed. Yeah, and so far, you know, obviously that's their only game, but it's it's a beautiful box. Um, so I'm curious about World Championship Russian Roulette, both because it's a lovely concept and because I, presumably it's a nice box again. Everything, uh, it has a nice build quality to it. I wouldn't say it's a particularly flashy game or that it looks terrific. It's much, it's less about, I think, components anywhere and more about, it, it's mostly just cards. Mm. So it's more about... Um, looking other people in the eye and sort of accusing them of cheating there's not it doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of physical product here anyway to show off so i can't say it feels um particularly visually special to me either okay um, if that makes sense but broadly you're you're having fun with it you're you're digging it you're digging friends shooting one another or not yes i just there's a thing that I occasionally we talk about when we play games where we we say it worked really well with this play account or it, you know we yeah. had a particularly good time with this this number of people and it was a game that really reminded me of that discussion or really reminded me of that sort of variable mm. uh some games just feel like they work so much better with a certain amount of people i remember ages ago with things like the resistance and avalon where we would say Although they'd go up to 10 people, we'd say 10 people feels like too many because there's always a couple of people around the table who don't get to do very much. Yeah, I remember playing um, Libertalia, um, a Paolo Mori game, um, a while back. And I was like, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to love this. And it was just three of us. And then I think I'd, about four or five times throughout the hour that the game takes, I was like, yeah, yeah, this one, this this game might be better with more people. <laughs> um, God bless BoardGameGeek.com for having kind of community recommended play accounts. Mm-hmm. So, or sometimes, sometimes it'll be like yeah. this game's for two to seven people. Then underneath it, it'll be like actually it's for three to seven people realistically. And then underneath that, it's like yeah, but it's best with five. I mean, you uh, can you- in theory play Russian roulette with just two people, but I don't think I ever would. I mean, famously, you can play Russian roulette by yourself, but I think. <sighs> So, yep, so that this is World Championship Russian Roulette. If people are curious, want to give it a Google or put in a pre-order at their friendly local game shop. Should I talk about the Captain Uh, Sonar expansion? uh, Well, so, yeah, because now I'm just really curious. So please do. I was overwhelmingly curious. I was a big ball of curious rolling down my steps to the front door to collect this when the mailman delivered it. Um, What noise did you make when that happened? um, Well, um, yeah. you need to make the noise of a ball going downstairs, and I'll make the noise that the ball of excitement was making. Oh, I think okay. a regular ball is like a sort of... A, because they bounce, they inevitably bounce higher the further down they go, so it's sort of a boink. Yeah. Boink. 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 Paul, what's this ball made of? It's in the air for ages. They they bounce higher as they go. It's it's like a tennis ball. Oh, I see. Ball. Oh, I imagined it more like a... a, 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 like a a medicine ball floating there. It's like boom, 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 boom. Uh, anyway, so the Captain Sonar, <laughs> if, if people aren't aware, the Captain Sonar, the game of Captain Sonar is a team-based game where two people are in submarines hunting one another. Um, and uh, sort of like, it's it's like Battleship made by a genius and a nerd. Um, basically, you're yes. plotting coordinates through the water. You've got a sonar operator on the other side of the screen who's listening to you and writing down where you might be. Um, it's a ton of fun. And it's actually quite simple. Um, and it's also quite good whether you play it turn-based or real-time. Now, it was a huge hit. It's one of those, our video review of that is one of the most popular videos we've ever done. So you'd imagine that this, the sound of an, the, the, the noise, the, the em, emission of, of an expansion from Matago um, would lead to a lot of excitement. Yeah. And I cracked open this small box that's called like Captain Sonar Upgrade, upgrade Pack Number One and leafed through everything in it. And I have to admit, 
surprising me most of all, it um, didn't, didn't really fill me with a desire to play or range a game of Captain Sonar. Hmm. Um, so the most exciting thing in it is that um, it's now got special systems. So in addition to charging torpedoes and drones and sonar, um, there's kind of a sixth thing that you can charge, which is usually related to the scenario. And in this expansion, instead, it's related to a special super system that's chosen by the captain, whether that's like a, a super torpedo that goes in a straight line or a super mine um, or uh, I forget the other ones. Uh, oh, like a, a thing that deflects torpedoes, this kind of thing. Um, so it enables your submarine to specialize, but I mean, having a mine that, that's really dangerous is, is quite interesting. Having a torpedo that's just, uh, that allows you to snipe another submarine from across the map is quite interesting. Um, having players fire a torpedo and you just go, no, we're going to hack it so it misses, that's less interesting. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I mean, if you played Captain Sonar a ton, um, if you were playing it every lunch break, I'm sure this would excite the bananas out of you. But Captain Sonar is a game for like seven, eight people played in real time. So people tend to play it really infrequently. It's like Twilight Imperium. It's one of those games you play to have an incredible evening, like, you know, once or twice a year, realistically. Um, so having these expansions that change the challenge a little bit didn't feel quite right to me. The other thing included in the box are a bunch of maps, um, new maps with special features. Um, but again... Uh, these aren't the most exciting maps for Captain Sonar, which I think is that map which, where it's the Arctic and you can only surface your submarine in holes in the ice, otherwise you take damage. Yeah. Um, the maps included in the box are like one with a lot of islands, so it's difficult to move around, or one with special sectors where if you go into this one uh, grid reference on the board, you like instantly charge all of your systems. And again, if you play Captain Sonar a lot, that's a, a, an interesting change to the tactics. But I don't know anyone who plays Captain Sonar a lot. Um, I think what I would have wanted in an expansion is something that really radically changes how the game is played. Something um, that is a whole new mechanic. The, the reason we all got excited about Captain Sonar is we've never played anything like this before. So this kind right. of very ginger tweaking of the game, that's not what people want from Captain Sonar. People want from Captain Sonar a game of listening to the other team and and uh, playing cat and mouse and and doing these activities which we've never, ever had on our table before. Um, so to have the expansion be more coy and careful um, was pretty disappointing to me. It sounds timid. I, it, I yeah. would, you know, hope for maybe a different crew position or something more mechanically fundamental than a slightly different map or a slightly different weapon. Or, you know, it, it, you describe it very well where it's sort of very slight tweaks rather than dramatic changes to a game that is fundamentally about, like, dramatic things happening. Yeah, I mean, if I talk about, like, my top five moments in a game of Captain Sonar, it's like figuring out where the other team are on the on the map or, you know, um, listening to the other team laugh on the other side of their screen because they think they know where we are and they don't. Um, it's it's the feeling of, like, panically drawing around your submarine when you surface, which is an insane minigame. Um, it's a game of madness, and there is almost no madness in the expansion, is a way to put it. Um but, you know, this is just called Upgrade Pack Number 1. So, And also, I've, you know, clearly not played it yet. Um, although, in a lot of ways, I think an expansion fails at the first hurdle if you get it and then aren't more inclined to play the game. Yes. Um, but I say this as an amateur of Captain Sonar. Um, you know, someone who doesn't play it frequently. I'm sure if you play it frequently, you would have radically different attitudes on this expansion. Um, but yeah, certainly not the sort of intake of breath box that, you know, when I say Captain Sonar expansion, people go, and I have to go, oh, it's yeah. not a, it's a, hmm. Well, um, this is exactly what I was feeling earlier when, when you teased it. I was immediately like, what have they thrown into the mix? What is in this tombola? And it's uh, just not a very tombolary thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about something that definitely is exciting. Do you want to tease Baron Park? Ba so Baron Park, Baron Park, I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm almost certainly going to do it wrong. Is a game about running a park full of bears. Mm. This is a, a German game where somewhat insanely they haven't translated the title for the Western audience. I, and you know what? I'm kind of okay with this because I guess it's a similar enough title to an English-speaking person that... You, you understand what's happening, and, and if you still don't 100% get it, there is like a huge picture of a bear on the box and then a person having fun in a park. So it's like, it's, you know, Jurassic Park, but with bears, basically, <laughs> I suppose. Okay. But everything works out nicely and nobody dies. You, uh, you, everybody begins the game with these blank 
park tiles that have nothing on them. They just have a, a whole load of empty room. Um, and you all try and grab from a central board game pieces, game tiles. They're all different shapes and do sort of uh, park Tetris where you arrange things like streets of shops uh, and latrines and actual bear enclosures. Click all these together and gradually build a bear park as sort of mm. a zoo that specializes mainly in bears. And... It's got this thing that a few tile lane games have that I really like, where fundamentally the rules are really, really simple, where you just you, you take a thing from the central pool, and depending upon where you put it, that determines what you take next. Because there's oh, really? a bunch of symbol, there's a, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on your tiles that you have that are pictures of like construction crews or diggers, things like this. The moment you cover one of those up, that determines the next thing that you draw out of the, the central pool of things. So your choice is always a combination of, you know, what's going to fit in well, but also what is the best thing for me to have to score points, but also what's going to enable me to cover up other things to draw more things from the middle. And that has a kind of a momentum where you're you're trying to plan turns ahead because you're like, if I get this now, that's the right shape to cover a thing to let me grab another thing later that lets me. But obviously you can only plan so far ahead because everybody else is also trying to race to seize all the best pieces first. Right, And I really like that as like a rules concept, you can explain it to people in about 60 seconds. But like, this is a thing I really like about Carcassonne, this thing I like about Suburbia, and thing I like about Patchwork is the context is always changing of what the best piece is right now. So you're, you're always reevaluating what's in front of you. And you because the game's not hugely complicated, you get to look at what's in front of other players, think about what they want, and think about trying to head them off at the pass. So although it's a game where you focus on your own player board and you you can't directly interfere with what anybody else is doing, you know, there's no hidden information, there's no cards you play that suddenly uh, make somebody else's part catch fire or explode, <laughs> you can always guess, like, this person is tr- clearly trying to get a panda bonus for getting, like, three different panda enclosures. So it might be worth my time grabbing pandas instead of grabbing p- grabbing polar bears. And... I, I really like this. I really like this. Um, like, I, you get the game in a minute, and then you spend ages going through all the different permutations of what can happen, and then the next game that you play will be different to the last one. And it's not super deep. It's not full of lots of different complex rules, but it just rolls along with this momentum. And it's one of those games where as soon as it's done, I want to play it again. Oh, I'm really? getting it's a bit excited hard. about it. Yeah, it's not a game that's going to change the world, but... I am really enjoying it, and I think it's going to become one of my gateway games, one of my games that I just, for people who don't play board games so much, I'm going to put it down on the table and maybe get a few more people into the hobby. We'll see. And so colorful as well, like placing these bears. You have a video review going up, I think, in just two days? In a couple of days, yeah. I actually started filming it. uh, We are recording this podcast on Tuesday morning Vancouver time. I started filming it about 24 hours ago now. Oh, wow, uh, starting it's like an with episode a, of 24. Oh, yeah, but with a pile of meat. I started with a pile of meat for re- for reasons. Um, so that'll be going up soon. And yes, it's also, it's maybe not going to look amazing on camera because it's mostly flat and tiles, but it's kind of cute. It's fast. It's kind of canny as well. And I'm feeling good about it. I am feeling excited about Bear Park. And p- there are obviously people who are joking about the theme being bears, and I think bears are really cool animals. But aside from that, it has just been a game that I've... I thought I would like it, but I'm surprised how much I like it. Mm. Uh, People should know uh, that Paul is a huge fan of bears, and I am a... Like, a worrying fan of bears, and I am a similarly massive fan of birds. That's... uh, that's Nothing wrong with that. Some trivia. Uh, Actually, topically, I dreamt last night of the best bird. I dreamt of a bird who was so great that I woke myself up laughing. (laughs) It was like a, it was like a really spooky raven thing with massive wings, but it decked out its wings in like all shiny things, like magpies, you know, steel. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was such a good bird. Wow, so, so good. Ooh, put your hand in the mailbag. Funny letter. Ah, oh, stick your hand in the mailbag. Funny letter. That's what Matt's singing there, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. Our question uh, this time comes from Justin Bias. Um, I hope he doesn't work in a kind of legal 
uh, scenario because that would be a world <sighs> of problems. Justin writes, Hello, Shut Up and Sit Down crew. I was trying to clean out some of my game collection recently and came across my old copy of Chrononauts. It was possibly the first hobby game I purchased long ago in 2007, and since then I've moved well past it but can't bring myself to sell or donate it. For my circle of friends, the game started as a hilarious nonsense game, but as we played more games, it gradually evolved into a rather smart game of bluffing. Reaching that point essentially required all players to have the cards memorized, but I always thought of it as a fascinating transition. My question's for you. One, are there any games in your collection that you recognize as not being particularly good but you keep for nostalgia? And two, are there any games that you've played so many times they've taken on a new, potentially unintended quality that drastically changes how it plays? Thanks for the years of great content, Justin. Thanks, Justin. What a, I, I like this question because I have an answer for it and I'm the one that chose the question this week. <laughs> um, do you, how are you feeling? Do you have a game you keep around for nostalgic purposes? I don't think I do. I think the younger version of me did that with HeroQuest, though, which I perennially mention as one of my big influences. And I think if, you know, if I sat down again with another copy of HeroQuest today, I would be looking at it going, why does it have... It, it has roll and move mechanics, which is not a great idea in a dungeon delving game where you like... What this turn I didn't roll enough movement points to get to a door and open it, so this turn I didn't do it. Like, what, why would you have that? Do you remember that in Lord of the Rings where Legolas rolls a one for movement and can't keep up with the rest of the fellowship? Right, exactly. So um, I, there was, I think that was me when I was a bit younger holding on to that game. But actually, no, I've been quite ruthless with, I think, passing things on or just putting them in the bottom of the cupboard if I'm not going to play them again. And then moving the things that I like the most to the, the most accessible shelves at the top where they get... I- cycled a lot more i'm a big fan of your system that you explained in yeah you explained that system in your board game collection post which people should uh can find actually there's a button on the homepage of shutupandsitdown.com um for me it's so simple yeah it's it's a delight though um for me i have people know about 100 games in my living room um and then it operates on a one-in one-out policy but there are some games that I might never play again. It's absolutely what Justin's talking about here. My copy of Black Gold, which is a not amazing oh, yeah. economy game. You remember playing this with me. I do. I, I, I was playing it before we started Shut Up and Sit Down. It was just a, it's a game where you drive your little truck across Texas and, you know, sometimes you find some oil and it spurts out with these little plastic oil pieces. And then you all have to bid for the right to sell it and... And it's 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 you know it's not bad in any way, um, but it's it's not it's not in board game geeks like top five hundred I don't think. Um, and yet I keep it around because where every time Paul I'm running my eyes over my game shelves, mm. whenever I see that copy of Black Gold I smile, um, or like <laughs> it, it's 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 very hard to describe, but it's like it reminds me of a simpler time. It reminds me of just a really happy evening playing that game. I, it reminds me of a good time in my life. I'm not sure. It's like the way that people might keep an old photo. I have a massive, dusty board game box that kind of just gives me a sense memory for some weird reason. Hmm. I have good memories of that. I remember playing that and enjoying it, but it was also it's five or six years ago. Six or seven, I think, yeah. So it it was a while back, and it was like, I think, one of our first written reviews on the site. So obviously... Yep. Things have if, changed. If people Google shut up and sit down black gold, they can find it as, yeah, one of the first things we ever published. So then let's let's look at the other thing that Justin says. Um, do you, Is there anything that has fundamentally changed that you play where your, your way of playing it is now different or you're so familiar with a game that different elements come to the fore that you didn't expect? What I do have now is that I have played so many games with our co-editor on the site, Matthew Lees, that the way we play games together is a hell it's just a joke like because we're both really competitive uh, and it, we have this <laughs> deeply unfair thing where i tend to be the one who learns the board games so as i'm teaching matt any given game he will have planned his first like two to three turns and then as soon as we actually start playing i'm like okay let's go i realize i have no idea what the hell i'm doing um wow. and we have that and then we have the fact that We've just had we have this multi-year rivalry. It's like the Highlander or something. Um, to the point that when we're playing games with other people, Matt and I will go out of the way to like just hammer each other. Um, and as soon as it happens for the umpteenth time, we just start laughing because 
it's yeah because we just know what a threat one another are and then often that leads to other players winning and it's and that's that's fine we're happy so your your meta game thing is is maybe less about the game and just more about who you might be with yeah that's it if Matt and I play board games at conventions where it's like me him and then six strangers those six strangers will be horrified (laughs) just like two brothers that loathe each other and are just trying to destroy everything that they each love at any cost amazing Um, so so yeah not specific games but specific people yeah how about you well I've been thinking about this and the, the the board game that I have played the most certainly in my in the recent years of my life is Carcassonne which I play all the time constantly on iOS and it's a game with many different expansions so you can play it with more or fewer sort of game elements thrown in and these things some of them click together very well like Lego so you can play with a couple of different expansions that actually complement each other rather well or you can, can you give some examples down. for the people at home uh there is a one about traders and builders whereby you can put down uh you can add in certain playing pieces that allow you to have more than one turn at a time if you build in a certain way because usually you you only have one turn you pass to the other person and some cities become potentially more valuable for you to complete because when you complete them you gain trade resources from them that score you points at the end of the game which can put you in a position where occasionally you finish somebody else's city and give them points just to give yourself end game points or things like this and it it just makes the game feel a bit sort of um a bit less linear and then also i often play with at least one of my friends uh there's an expansion with a dragon in which is bit strange it doesn't quite fit the style of the other expansions but it does mean you move a dragon around the board and you eat other people's pieces and i actually like a mechanic that removes other people's pieces from the game because you don't usually do that in carcassonne but you do spend a lot of the game trying to build stuff in a way that traps other people's pieces so you then end up in a situation where it's sometimes worth eating your own piece to claim it back off the board (laughs) so you can do right you know, this level of like, ah, oh, this changes what I can do in the game and it potentially, you know, adds a new dimension to things. So I've been playing this for years. I've been trying different expansions and I feel like I've become generally a good player and I can see how all these elements bounce off each other or how you can combine them or how certain, you know, add this thing in and then it changes this dynamic for this other expansion. Um, and then I played it with... Last year, I started playing it with a new friend called Phoebe, who does uh, something called Cardboard Cast Online. And I just played Base Carcassonne over the internet with her. And she constantly beat me every single time. And I couldn't work out what was going on. And I actually said to her, I don't even understand what you're doing. I don't get how you... Like, I can't react to anything you're doing. I don't understand it. And she said two things. She said, first, don't worry, I am the state champion. <laughs> for Victoria, the state of Victoria in Australia. And I was like, okay, I'm fine, I feel less bad. And then she said, I'm also counting all the tiles. As in, she knew the uh... base set so well that it didn't just become about tile placement. It kept, became about, you know, I, she knew the game so well that she knew exactly how many pieces of each type like were left. So she's not just placing things. She's thinking like there are four row, te- four row tokens and eight city pieces and... <laughs> and that was just a whole level of like, I can't keep up with that because I'm thinking from turn to turn about the current context of our turn. I'm not thinking about, you know, how the odds are that this, this many pieces are going to turn up. It's like some ridiculous blackjack thing of Rain Man counting all of these cards. I just, I couldn't do it. That's... And it was a whole new level for me. Uh, but what a what a wonderful thing that like, you know even the the quote-unquote gateway games for for this hobby where things like ticket to ride and carcassonne and settlers of Catan aren't just you know simple to play they're also able to be played at such a high level like pandemic has really intense tournaments as well this this is another thing and this is probably why i will not ever stop playing carcassonne i feel it rewards more investment and more knowledge the more you know of it. it there's just something about it where you just play at a higher levels and it feels cheesy to compare it to chess and that sort of way but there are games out there that people have been playing for a long long time that do actually reward you know lots of investment and lots of knowledge and lots of um i don't know lots of re- repeated play uh yeah, and I, I that's a, f- a wonderful thing I have a feature I would love to do in 2018, um, but I don't think we can justify it for the time spent on the site, where I would love for the, all the core editorial team to 
each pick a game that they wish they played more and then play it something like 30 times over the course of the year and then check in like here's what I think of this game after 10 plays here's what I think after 20 here's what I think after 30 and kind of do that super exhaustive dive into into a classic to see if it becomes even more of a classic to see if it becomes truly like luminous Um, but then it's like partially I just think I want to do that because I want to play El Grande 30 times Um, and this would be a way of playing myself to do it but ultimately it would just be too much time it would be too much time to justify the article itself. Um, I sort of uh, want to do that now. There's something about area control games like El Grande. And El Grande, I feel, has aged really well. Oh, it's, so it's still the best area control game. It's still the best. and uh, But we are being bad boys when we talk about it because I don't think it's in print right now. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Folk Game of the Month. Right, Folk Game of the Month this month comes from, uh, just comes from Nick. That is uh, the only info that I've got here in front of me. And given how much mischief there is in this, I can see why. He says, Dear Paul and Quinns, in my earlier days, one of my first jobs out of university was for an unnamed rental car company that employed many, many unfocused graduates such as myself. If the office was able to meet its sales objectives, we could do pretty much anything else we wanted. Given the fact that we were armed with hundreds of cars, this allowed us to get creative. One game that was a favourite was Sudden Death Hide and Seek. In this game, when one of us would be ready to bring a rental car to a customer, the quarterback, mm, the one responsible for assigning vehicles to reservations would purposefully give the keys to a vehicle that was not in its assigned spot. We would not discover this fact until after we told the customer to wait at the front of the building that we (laughs) valeted, valeted, valeted. This would cause us immediate panic as we then had to run through the massive lots to find the vehicle, as going back for assistance would signal defeat. This was particularly challenging as our office was located in a very large dealership and it had multiple overflow lots each in a different direction from the main building. Once an employee unwillingly became a player, they were judged on the following. Time it took to get the the vehicle to the customer. Negative points if the customer thought there was an issue. Negative (laughs) points if the player was visibly out of breath in front of the customer. Negative points if they took so long the customer came back inside to check that everything was okay. Oh, I love Many that because negative. It's, it's, up, oh, it's, it's an uncontrollable factor. Many negative points if you ended up causing damage to a vehicle during the race to get the vehicle to the customer. This happened more than once. No injuries wow. ever occurred. Positive, positive points if you found the vehicle without using the alarm button. In true form, a quarterback <laughs> would normally activate the game under the following conditions. This is awful. Would activate the game under the following conditions. Bad weather. Bad or mad customer. Employee had been late one day that week. Employee was gloating too much about sales made that week. Employee's birthday. Yes. Our car washer could find a particularly difficult spot, or could find a particular difficult spot to navigate out of. So deliberately bad parking. Mm. Uh, Or the area manager was in the office. The area Presumably manager, the manager doesn't know about this game, so it's just to make everybody's life worse. Oh, what a delight. There was no true scoreboard, but this and many other games made for great memories and stories at the bar after a long day's work. We also found that dropping in moments of sheer panic into an otherwise cookie-cutter job gave a lot of spark and pride to the role. And that's from Nick. Right, hmm... I'm just imagining I, immediately people like Pac-Manning their way around big parking lots of cars, trying to with one set of keys, trying them on everything, or maybe having one of those buttons that unlocks oh, the car and pointing it everywhere. It's it's the image of like you know you you saunter out with the key in hand, and then you go to the assigned parking spot, and you're looking for the blue car, and it's a red car, and then your heart sinks, and then you just start sprinting like yeah yeah Pac-Manning up and down hundreds of cars, pressing the button in the air. And then, you know, maybe like sort of the customer is waiting outside the building and then just sees this like kid sprinting about 300 feet away, like maybe pressing a button on the keys and then hearing this insanely loud alarm coming from a mile away and the kid sprints in the (laughs) other direction. And it's raining and, oh yeah. But I think maybe my favorite part in all of this is that 
Nick writes that it gave pride into a role that didn't have pride. Yeah. Like to, to take a job, that, you know, that the manager doesn't give you a reason to be to feel pleased with yourself about. And then the employee's crafting a way to make it like an incredibly complicated and difficult challenge. I think that's great. It it reminds me of some of the things I did in retail. And it's that level of you, you need extra mental stimulation. You need something else in your day. And so you end up finding ways to, to troll the other people that you work with. Um, it was never the same thing, but my first ever job was in a hardware store. And initially, we didn't have a rental truck. And then after a while, we did. And there, for some reason, the store decided we would have just one rental truck, which was a stupid idea because we had thousands of customers. But customers could rent this this truck and use it to load up with stuff and sort of drive home. And then they it was inevitably like men who were kind of middle class and didn't usually do this but they could feel very manly buying all their timber and putting it in a truck and <laughs> renting it and taking it home and it, it was the worst thing ever because nobody brought it back on time everybody like people just crashed it in the car park the people who had never driven a truck before would like put down a 40 pound deposit and we give them the keys they get into it and they just immediately crash it into the wall of the car park <laughs> It, why why did we do this and we just had one of them so by the end of every saturday you you had this line of people who were like i'm next in line to rent the thing i was supposed to have it at 4 p.m but the 3 p.m person hasn't brought it back or they're so late that the 5 p.m person is now here expecting to take their it ah uh, it was the, the worst thing i have almost certainly told this story uh, on the on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast before, but um, it reminds me of our, of our mutual friend, John T, who uh, used to work at a Sainsbury's <laughs> in the middle of... Yes. <laughs> yeah, John T is a man, bless him, whose who's name alone brings like laughter and, and joy. What a nice man he is. Um, but yeah, poor woebegotten John T was working in a, a supermarket here in the UK called Sainsbury's. And um, there was... They had, they had a, a van similar to what you're describing. And occasionally um, they would get a shipment that they knew they were never going to be able to sell, like, you know, 200 legs of lamb in uh, an area that wasn't particularly posh. Then you get it and you just know that it's not going to sell, which is bad for your stats. So then what the manager of the Sainsbury's would do was get jaunty into the van with him chuck all the legs of lamb in the van drive to a nearby sainsbury's and then park in the loading zone and try and find some kid who didn't know what was going on to sign the document taking these legs of lamb oh my god because then it becomes the property of that sainsbury's and it's not a problem so you have to do this kind of looking official but also trying to be like you know solid snake or something because if a manager sees you they know exactly what you're doing immediately and will tell you to clear (laughs) off so you have to look completely official and in charge while not being seen by anyone and also, you know, dropping eight pallets of lamb on the floor and then driving away as fast as possible. Because all you need is the signature, you need it out of the van, and then you drive away and then, you, then you're done, you're scot-free. You, I, and I bet he was a teenager when he was doing this. Oh, he would have been like 14 and then yeah. just like the, kind of like the sidekick to this Fagin-like manager who would be, you know, involving him in all these awful schemes. It's it's something about that age and the stimulation that you need and like in in the hardware store where I worked there would be there'd be a lot of stuff that would actually be hugely expensive and there's a risk of people shoplifting like very expensive drill bits or certain small but very very important power tools uh, so all these things had security tags and you bet that once you removed a security tag from a product and sold it you tried to then put that security tag in somebody else's clothing in their back pocket because why not because wouldn't it be hilarious if if jeff's shift ends and he walks out and all the alarms go off wouldn't that be funny that would be pretty funny if you're like 15 yeah yep but that's i mean we're talking about terrible games but nick's game here has an amount of nobility to it yeah it does you know, it has an amount of physical fitness of yep. of like um cleverness on part of the puzzle setter and the person who uh has to find the car it has stealth this is a top class folk game this is pretty good um, and i'm very very impressed uh thank you very much for sending that in nick if you would like to send us a question of which we're always uh, uh we're looking you know we have plenty but we're looking for good ones if you'd like to send us a good question then you can do that at contact at shutupandsitdown.com um or if you'd like to send us a truly good folk game uh, you can send <laughs> that also to contact at shutupandsitdown.com because we're running out of truly great folk games now it might be time to retire this feature and put on a new one 
uh, if oh, you no. can believe that. Yeah, you know, no. there's folk games, but no, really. I mean, no. uh, you and I are looking at the same massive document, but, you know, these the folk games, just it's it's not, we're not at the bottom of the barrel. Um, but, you know, certainly if you reach in, you can feel the bottle of the barrel of games. Mm. Life has changed, Paul. I don't know what to tell you. You know, you have to accept that things won't be the same, and we have to let folk games go gently off into the night rather than, uh, you know, keeping it around like... Have you seen the movie Psycho? You know, we yes. don't want our folk game segment to become like a mum in a chair. Oh, my God. We continue to talk to and talk about um, long after we probably should have done something about it, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. Okay. Yeah, right. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to shutupandsitdown.com the podcast that's not uh, that's not what we say do you want to try and have a crack at this paul uh thanks so much for listening if you uh enjoyed this podcast please rate it on itunes please leave comments Ooh, no, don't don't oh, don't do that wait, oh you're what? as bad at this as i am because we're swapping over to a new feed soon <clears throat> i will also tease that the next podcast in this feed is going to be our inaugural uh, rpgs <laughs> rpg podcast um and we're going to be creating a separate podcast feed for people to subscribe to but we'll also be giving you guys the chance to listen to the first rpg podcast in this feed see if you like it and uh, and maybe subscribe yeah that is going to be a regular thing and i we have a lot of rpgs to play and a lot that we have already played so there's going to be a lot of discussion in that do go to shutupandsitdown.com. Whether, however you have found this podcast, please visit our website where you will find so many more podcasts and videos and written reviews and regular news and special features, some really, really good special features. And you can leave little comments below the things uh, like you can in lots of places on the internet, except on our site. The comments are nice and they're moderated and they're helpful and they're constructive discussions. And you can be part of that and you can feel good about yourself. Do you want to be part of something good in this Mm-hmm. miserable life of ours do you do you have what it takes to be a commenter shut up and sit down is always looking for new commenters to leave comments uh <laughs> this has been a very weird ending uh thanks very much for talking to me paul thanks for listening everybody else all right thank you <laughs>